Cinematologist podcast, episode 122, with Mary Wilde and Sarah Cleaver from the Projections podcast. On this episode, we talk about all things film podcasting, psychoanalysis and cinema, cancel culture, and the genius of Eyes Wide Shut and Annie Hall. Thanks to Mary and Sarah for their time. We really hope you enjoy our conversation with them. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Cinematologist Podcast. I'm Neil Fox, and joining me as always is Dario Linares. Hello, Dario. Hey, hey, Neil. Great to talk to you again. How are things going at the moment? Things are really good, my friend. Yeah, we are careering towards the end of term. Had a nice long bank holiday weekend, only sidelined for one night by the jab, and uh, which <laughs> meant I could watch a couple of movies, so that was all good. And uh, yeah, pretty good. What about you? Yeah, actually, I feel like kind of um, there's there's a sort of uh, lightness, you know, a weight off my shoulders maybe starting to emerge. I don't know if people are feeling that because it's to do with lockdown, but yeah, just had a nice weekend as well. Got quite a bit, had that perfect balance of getting quite a bit done. You know, the newsletter went out, did a little bit of writing, bit of podcast stuff, done an, done an interview today. And then kind of in work-wise, I've got this, this role at work, which is being removed from well, I've re- removed myself from this role at work and I can just feel the weight of that kind of starting to dissipate. And it's it's very nice, I must, I must say. Great stuff. Yeah, I feel quite similarly about next year as well, having done, done the same. So it's spring and it's exciting and there's lots to look forward to, including the episode today where we are joined by two of our favourite podcasters um, and we are going to be talking all things psychoanalysis and film with Mary and Sarah from Projections who are with us now so hello both of you. Hey. Hi. (laughs) Thanks for having us on. We've just been lurking here since the beginning. (laughs) The problem is is that there's the the lurking possibilities are kind of being exacerbated by this lag that's on on the line that we're having to deal with so hopefully that won't be too much of a problem but it really is great to to talk to you about uh, all things uh, podcasting and psychoanalysis in podcasting, and uh, yeah, it's just it's always it's always nice to share you know a little bit of what what they call in America inside baseball because we do see you guys as sort of uh, you know kindred spirits in terms of the kind of podcast that you produce in relation to ours. That's a huge compliment. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for for coming on. So let's let's kick off. We've got a lot we want to talk to you about, and um, I think. Maybe we'll start, Sarah, with just what's what's it been like podcasting in the pandemic for you? That big, very 2021 question. Um, I've actually really enjoyed podcasting in the pandemic. I think me and Mary are quite similar in that most of the pandemic has quite suited us because we're both very introverted. Um, and in a way, it's been easier to record without having to leave our houses. I think we'll probably continue doing this um, in the future, even though it would obviously be nice to see each other. But um, yeah, it's I kind of brought on some possibilities that I didn't that made the whole thing a lot easier. So pretty good. What about you guys? Quite similar, really. Yeah, we've um, because we've been sort of doing it remotely for a, quite a few years. Because Dario left for Brighton after we both met at Falmouth and started it, so we've been doing the sort of the the remote recording and remote editing for quite a while. So we it didn't really change much for us. Um, 
if anything, it sort of opened up the access we could get to different types of people, which was really interesting and really good. But um, yeah, the, the basic sort of running of it was quite similar. What do you think, Daria? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's been interesting actually to see how other other podcasts, not necessarily just film podcasts, have dealt with the the change to to remote. And I think one of the things we've missed is um, being able to do our live events, which you know we've done from the start. But obviously, that's kind of curtailed a little bit. But I remember, God, it seems like another lifetime, Mary, when you and I had a, a coffee and we were discussing the potential of doing something live but i know that you you're you're back on now at the doing your uh, freud museum courses so uh that is that still remote or are you are you looking to get that back on live in the, in the near future yeah i mean i i remember that coffee with you very vividly because a guy fell down the stairs <laughs> do you remember that <laughs> yeah, i remember that yeah <laughs> that was really scary um <laughs> I was really worried about that guy. Anyway, um, yeah, I've been actually um, conducting all my Ford Museum courses since the pandemic began online. In fact, I've done more content for them since prior the the virus. And I think the consensus with my associates there at the museum is that we will continue online for the foreseeable future because we've been accessing, we've actually been able to connect and give access to participants around the world, which previously had not been possible with live events. So we, we kind of have an incentive to continue online, maybe with live events as a bonus rather than the norm. That's really, yeah, that's really interesting. I think there's been quite a, quite a significant change, I think, in terms of festivals and even cinemas sort of thinking about live events. We talked about that with Mark Cosgrove from The Watershed a few episodes ago, you know, in terms of it suddenly opens up all these different participants for, for events and sort of change the way sort of what were previously in the room events are thinking about audiences so that's really interesting as well, yeah. I have to say I don't enjoy film festivals online at all. <laughs> I mean, I've had um, I've had access to a few of them, but I've it's just meant that I don't I, I can I get the ticket and then I don't feel like watching any of the films because it's just there's no excitement. It's not fun. You're not you know going in and talking to your friends. You're just sitting on your bed watching them. It just it's not cinema to me. No, that's a really really interesting point, and I kind of feel the same way. It's that that sense of when we go to Berlin and we do our Berlin episodes. That you know the whole experience of sort of bombing from one cinema to another and grabbing a coffee and grabbing you know a, a chat with people on the way around it's just that seems to me just fundamental to the the film festival's uh, process so yeah I, I i know it's difficult but it's kind of like i suppose it, it relates to the the stuff that we do day to day when it comes to to teaching via uh, remotely via zoom and, and and what have you so obviously we've done a couple of podcasts that have where we've talked to other film podcasters and, you know, that's one of the driving forces for, for asking you guys to come on. So I was just wondering, you know, how did your podcast start? What's your origin story? And I mean, it's really interesting there that you both said that you're, you both consider yourselves quite introverted. So, you know, maybe I don't know if that, that kind of uh, factored into you guys getting together and deciding to start up a podcast. Yeah. Um, I met Sarah at the Freud Museum. She attended a series I did in 2015 on Lars von Trier. And we sort of became pals after that. And I think you, was it that you emailed me, Sarah? Yeah, I wanted to, I was uh, do, trying to do research at the time. I have like a problem where I just make up a job and then try and do it. And one of the things I was wanted to do was be a researcher. So I emailed Mary asking if she needed, you know, I'd never seen anyone like Mary or, you know, she has kind of her own genre to a certain extent. And I was just really inspired. So I emailed her and asked if she needed a research assistant. And she uh, said she didn't need a research assistant. She needed a partner, which was like the most, I was so happy. I read that email to like 20 people that I knew. Um, and then we met up always intending to work together in some way, but we just became two good friends. So we just, we just spent all of our meetings talking and talking and talking and we never got any work done. Um, and it was only maybe about two or three years later that I started to get into podcasts and I suggested that as, as something we should yeah, do. Yeah. I mean, it just, 
to us that w- whenever we were speaking, we were, it, it, I felt like we were having um, really interesting conversations and we were sharing a lot of insights with each other. And it was actually Sarah who was like, this should have been recorded. This should have been a podcast, you know, because she was into that. She was into podcasts, like that whole culture. And I was not at that point. I really was not. Sarah's the one who, like, this is really all thanks to Sarah. She's the one who came up with the idea to do a podcast together. Um, So the credit is, is to her. I sort of initially just went along on the ride and, like, trusted the process with her and, like um, I like talking to her and I it, it occurred to us that maybe other people might l- like to listen to us and have like a parasocial relationship with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's where the introversion yeah. comes in, the parasocial relationship. <laughs> so Sarah, were you listening to other film podcasts and were, you know, were there certain structures or styles that, that you were influenced by or was it a sense that, there's there's a gap there that we want to fill in terms of you you and Mary kind of your your interplay let's say you know um, together your sort of charismatic relationship but then you know the idea of sort of psychoanalysis as the as the the focal point. I think I mean I listen to I'm a real podcast junkie I listen to podcasts all day I listen to them as I'm falling asleep I listen to them in the bath all the time um and I think when I suggested this one um I don't think this podcast is like the podcast that I listen to you know I like um kind of like quite researched like essayistic podcasts sort of like you must remember this or I just like true crime podcasts as well um so I think maybe when I envisaged envisaged it I thought that it might be a little bit more that we would kind of research a topic and present it to the audience in the way that Mary does with her courses but in the end it just became like we filled up so much time just talking in the way that we talk and that's kind of developed over the six seasons that we've done it um so I don't think I have to say I don't think it's very inspired by other podcasts I'm not totally sure what it is um it's kind of a thing of its own it's not it's different to Mary's courses it's different to the other podcasts I listen to but um I'm a little bit ignorant of exactly what it is and what the structure is I think our listeners could probably tell me you better than I could maybe or maybe Mary can no I mean um no, I was just going to say, um, that's a really good way of putting it, the way Sarah just articulated it there. I mean, it is definitely different to my courses because it's a dialogue. You know, we both have an equal footing in the conversation and we're both bringing our, our own unconscious materials to project onto the films that we discuss in this kind of exchange of ideas. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I was not into podcast culture before Sarah kind of like introduced me to that whole world. Since then, I I have to say, I do not listen to uh, any film podcasts at all. Um, I mean, I listen to ours because I, I, I predominantly am the editor. So I, 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 which by the way, I had to grow out of a serious phobia I, I had of listening or hearing my, my own voice. For the first like 25 episodes, I didn't listen to a single second of any of that material. Sarah was editing everything and she had way too much of a disproportionate like, uh, you know, task in terms of what she was managing with the podcast. And I, through through sheer guilt, I like willed myself to overcome the terrible fear of hearing my own voice. And since then, I've kind of like somehow through... I guess through like exposure or the flooding technique uh, of CBT, I've now finally been able to tolerate my own voice and can now edit our episodes. But apart from our podcasts, um, I do listen to a lot of podcasts, but like no film ones whatsoever. I only listen to like uh, political, cultural podcasts, um, like just loads of like political punditry. I'm kind of into that. I'm a bit of a political junkie. Yeah, it's... um, it, it's really interesting i think when you st- start um you know you you start kind of podcasting and there's uh that that sense of w- how you present yourself what you what you sound like and and how you come across becomes i think uh, you know maybe S- sarah sort of feels this more if she's the one who does the editing it's like you kind of really get a sense of how you come across in the in the audio space so I mean, yeah I, mean, I think we'll pick we'll definitely pick um 
up on that a, a little bit later on. Neil, sorry. No, I just wanted to sort of extend that when you're sort of talking about the kinds of conversations you were having, because it, one of the things I really like about your podcast, and I think I think you're right, Sarah. I think it, there isn't another film podcast like it, um, and uh, which is why I think it's so, so special. But I think one of the things that feels really great about it is that it, you don't just talk about psychoanalysis in film. It's it feels like a psychoanalytic podcast that the way that you listen to each other the way that you engage each other feels like it's a kind of it's a space you've created purely to listen um which i think is quite remarkable really i wondered if that was something that was conscious um or if you ever ever sort of been aware that of the type of experience that you were sort of creating through the form of the podcast as well as the the content um i mean i think maybe Mary is more conscious than me of um, the form of the podcast. Uh, I think it's very influenced by, again, by, as as I said, by her genre. Um, For me, I think I'm just, I fit so well into it because I am the child of a psychologist. When I was a child, my dad was bringing his psychologist friends to dinner. And so, and now my boyfriend who Mary introduced me to is a psychoanalyst. Um, So um, I think that I'm, the way I've impressed people all my life is to just open myself up to analysis. Um, so I just think it's, I'm just a, like a lucky, it's just a lucky meeting that we, that me and Mary ever met each other. Um, I think that I just kind of slide into the a, a therapeutic conversation pretty easily. Um, and I think we're, and I think that, yeah, Mary, who, and now Mary com- like edits them completely. So I think maybe she's in the more, um, she's in the more kind of therapist position because she's like overseeing the process and she can see what happens whereas I'm, I'm just the one in therapy it's so funny that that to hear you say that Sarah because I kind of um oftentimes feel like I'm the one being vulnerable and and like sort of like sharing um my hang-ups or talking about my demons so I also feel like with very much like uh, in that kind of position of the uh, person being analyzed, but but not by you necessarily, but just by the whole process of relating to the films that we talk about. So in that in that sense, uh, I don't think this ship has a captain. I'm not I'm not the analyst. I just write, I'm just a bit of a like I just have like a strange volume of knowledge about. Freud and psychoanalysis so it seems on the surface like I know what I'm talking about and I I know what I'm doing and I'm in charge maybe but that's I I don't feel that way at all I feel uh equally like uh opening up and stuff and but I like I like the fact that the structure of our podcast does come off to you guys as listeners and maybe other people that we are in a way, in, in a strange, maybe maybe completely unintended way, we've ended up emulating the psychoanalytic setting where something is being discussed and we're kind of like, maybe through retroactive association, trying to search for meaning, you know, which is kind of mimicking the psychoanalytic process, which that, that suits me very well. Yeah, maybe in a way we've come up with a psychoanalysis without the power structure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I would yeah, I would definitely agree with that. It certainly doesn't feel like there's a boss or there's a therapist. You know, it's just it's just that space that you create for each other to to share and listen and kind of, you know, there's no judgment, there's no there's always a kind of welcoming listening, which is really yeah, it's just it's just really rare. You know, you never get the sense that one is waiting for the other to finish to 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 tell their point. Like I know what you're saying there, Mary, about your your knowledge, but it's never a an arrogantly shared yeah kind of knowledge it's, it's it's in service of the whatever the topic is which i think is really thank exciting thank you well it's because sarah makes me feel comfortable speaking to her as a pure equal like um i i'm very sort of um like i just feel able to talk so she's really a good person to like exchange ideas with like she really inspires me so I feel like I can go to maybe these vulnerable areas that maybe other in other conversations I might be more defended. You know, I don't feel that way with Sarah. Like she, she's truly like a welcoming partner in a conversation and is very insightful. So that sets the tone for our conversations, you know? 
Yeah, I think for I'm really grateful to Mary because uh, I think like she kind of set the tone for our friendship with the very first email when I approached her and was like, can I be your student? And she was like, no, you may be my equal. <laughs> and it's always just been like that. So yeah, I think um, like I'm really like grateful to be able to be inspiring to Mary because she's constantly inspiring to me. Aww, thank you. That's a really interesting point because I think it, it actually manifests itself in specific ways in terms of the way that you not just kind of watch the films and then comment on them or analyse them through this psychoanalytic lens, but I think there's moments, and there was a good example in the first episode of this season where you were talking about, I think you were talking about La Double, where like Sarah kind of came up with an answer to the the whole you know, what she saw as the whole kind of hypothesis of the film. And it, and it just literally came out of you pulling at the threads of that of that conversation of, and of that film. Have you found that happening more and more, you know, throughout the seasons that you've you've kind of realised that, that you're actually, that your conversation is productive of knowledge, not just, just reiterating kind of what you've thought of previously? Um, I think uh, with Lamont Dubler, I think that was kind of, I've, I don't I remember that me coming to that to that episode very confused and Mary having already <laughs> like studied that film quite um quite a lot so it's definitely Mary's uh reading of the film that I think led that episode um because I think my reading was quite reactive I was or I was still quite upset by it whereas Mary had already analyzed yeah, it yeah. Where, <laughs> I remember that you know it was it didn't it didn't have that kind of power over her um I think definitely from my point view I don't have a complete idea of what we're going to say about a film until it comes I bring it to the conversation um I think and if I try to have a complete reading then it's it's usually um it's it Mary will like almost certainly have one that is much more perfect so I think it's better to kind of bring an incomplete idea of what's going on to the to the episode it just makes it more interesting that we do piece it together to, together yeah I echo that I echo that um I occasionally a couple one or two of these films that we program I might have already uh covered in my lecture series at the Freud Museum but somehow through the process of dialogue with Sarah, where we're kind of like, we're kind of trying things out, you know, we're, 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 we're going where our associations lead us. Oftentimes it's like they take on a different form or I can see a different angle that I hadn't considered before. And just through sometimes our different perspectives on something. And so it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's really, um, it's kind of like a very free-flowing, like rules-free space that we've kind of given ourselves license to. Yeah, no, it definitely works works that way. And I think so, linking to that, I think one of the reasons that that happens is because you have such a diverse range of films, maybe even films that you wouldn't ordinarily kind of place as being the focus of psychoanalysis so yeah obviously Hitchcock and Polanski and, and this kind of stuff but then you're doing face-off for example was just a great conversation and in terms of you using a poll to decide the overriding themes of the season um, what are some of the pros and cons of that and are you always kind of look looking to make sure that you do cover you know a wide range of a wide range of films um, yeah I mean with polls firstly um i mean we only put items in the poll that we for sure would feel happy to cover so in a way we you know it's like um it's a win-win for us you know it means that the audience might feel engaged by being asked about what 
they might like to see covered, but also we we make sure that we have items there that we, we, we'd feel passionately about or that we'd feel, um, you know, inspired by in a discussion. Um, with the face-off thing, that literally was just uh, a listener who had written that as a comment and said, are you going to cover face-off when you do the double? And we were like, wow, yes, like that's such a great idea. And in terms of like what is classically considered like in the tradition of psychoanalysis and film, let's say decades before, you know, um, there might have been like uh, a culture that dictated what films would pair really well with psychoanalysis as a framework. But I really don't take that approach. I'm, I'm, I, I consume all types of different media from highbrow to lowbrow. And I'm very like <laughs> non-discriminating. Like I, I happen to think that every single film is amenable to a psychoanalytic study. There's not certain features of it that make, make, makes it like a qualified film for study um, in, in this way. I think as, as long as you are, you know, combining uh, dialogue with visuals uh, in the format of a film, I mean, those are the basic units of analysis in, in psychoanalysis, you know? The person is speaking and they may have their own fantasy life operating in their mind and they're trying to negotiate those things together. You know, the same rules apply, you know, in, in like dream analysis as they do in film analysis. If it, if it can be filmed, then it can be studied as a psychoanalytic film. I mean, the psychoanalysis even uh, exists before the kind of concerted study of it uh, when a person decides to sit down and watch a film. That kind of like confrontation of the individual's fantasy with the director's vision is itself a psychoanalytic act. So I, I have no rules about what is acceptable or not acceptable, you know. Uh, I'd happily psychoanalyze like uh, keeping up with the Kardashians, you know. <laughs> and she has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah is that do you think that's something that is sort of part of you know sort of psychoanalysis and film studies in general in terms of changes because you know there was a period sort of in the early to mid sort of century of, of film studies where psychoanalysis was seen as one of if not the sort of preeminent way of analyzing film um particularly around sort of, sort of you know sort of peak hitchcock era but then it's kind of it's not it doesn't sit at the centre of film studies in the same way. It's sort of alongside another sort of range of other things. Do you think that's because of those kinds of attitudes to it, that it's much more broader? So it's almost the wider it is, the less sort of dominant it has to be kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I think that, I think that, that certain attitudes that exist about what can be allowed within that sphere of study is a bit like gatekeeping and trying to control something that is supposed to be a little bit radical, you know, <laughs> like, um, you know, and, 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 and so I just think, I mean, I think maybe in certain circles of academic study, then there may, there may need to be uh, certain rules and guidelines and structures in place to guide students. And that's fair enough. If it's, it's, if it's for that purpose of like rigorous research, that's fair enough. But I think my, my approach um, is that I'm a bit of a populist when it comes to psychoanalysis. I want psychoanalysis to be like promoted in, as, a, as a popular discourse. People, you know, something that can just like propagate into culture and people can identify with it and feel empowered applying it and taking it on as a worldview. So I think then in that case, trying to reduce the scope of psychoanalysis as just belonging to a certain like category of films is very limiting and it doesn't really encourage people to like feel empowered, you know? I'm like psychoanalysis for the people, you know? Well put. Uh, very exciting. You might get elected on that slogan, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's really exciting, kind of um, sort of mission, really, for the for the podcast. I think that definitely comes across. One of the other things I think that, that, that has come across is the way that you talk about films involving sex. Obviously, sex is a key part of the psychoanalytic kind of area 
Um, but you're always sort of drawing attention to the difference. This is something that's sort of a, a personal bugbear of mine, sort of historically, is um, the difference between sort of sexy films, for quite a bit of time, and films about sex. And, you know, certain films, and you sort of talk about Dead Ringers as a recent example, you know, have sex and sort of, you know, the, the, the power relations of sex at the, the centre of the narrative and the kind of the relationships in the film. But it's not necessarily setting out to be a sexy film, um, you know, in, in, the, in, a, you know, in a kind of narrow sense. But the, the, sort of the history of cinema almost sort of gets entwined with all of those discussions. I wondered if that was, if that and other things were sort of things that you were, conscious of in terms of the the types of conversations you were having that were broadening previously quite narrow definitions of certain types of films and and sort of areas of discussion? Um, I mean, I think uh, like any film that is just about the thing that it thinks it's about is like an unsuccessful film, in my opinion. Um, And I think I wouldn't say that I think that definitely in the world today, there's like disconnect between what sex really is deep in your unconscious and what we kind of universally agree as a society or agree to agree is sexy. Um, I wouldn't say it's very high on my list of um, concerns about the world. Um, uh, I'm not sure. I think um, maybe maybe Mary might want to, might have a more of a idea of how to lead on this one. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think that, um, I think it's important also maybe to define the term of like sexy, sexy, what's sexy. Um, you, you know, we can define it in the traditional way, way of something being like maybe titillating or, uh, you know, erotically charged or whatever. But I actually think that when we look, look at things psychologically, that can just mean in the realm of, of eros, you know, i.e. in psychoanalysis, eros is not necessarily like intercourse or like, genital contact it's something um much more like philosophical it's the thing that like activates the will to live it animates us you know it sort of invites us into that engagement with the content it's something it has like a live quality which is often you know um uh, contrasted with the death drive you know the death wish um, which is something else completely. But but I think that a lot of the times I've noticed people talking about certain films and they sort maybe they might be prone to kind of like dismiss what they believe is a gratuitous representation of, of sex, like too many sex scenes or something. But I think in doing that, I think that's a little bit reductive. I think we... It's more helpful psychoanalytically to see sexuality represented on screen and maybe consider that it could be coded for something that invites us in into the discourse, activates our desire to look, you know, um, the desiring gaze, which can be both, you know, and it's not gendered, by the way. I keep hearing people say like the male gaze as if it's the only possible desiring gaze. That is patently untrue. You know, women can have a desiring gaze. People of any gender can have a desiring gaze. Um, so I just think it's it's more interesting to think about it allegorically as a code for or a stand-in for something that erotically invites us in. Um, it just animates our imagination, our willingness to commit to the narrative or what we're looking at. Yeah, yeah. Thank. Uh, yeah, I didn't mean to come across as someone who's constantly thinking about sexy films. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's because yeah, it's, it's, it's fine too. <laughs> but it's cinema, isn't it? So how can we not? Um, but yeah, it was more just I think because I think a film that does that for me that you're sort of saying there is, is Eyes Wide Shut, which is sort of famously a film that was kind of lambasted for not being you know quote unquote sexy but 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 felt more like it was you know kind of using sex as a as the kind of the, the pivotal sort of gateway through to the, to what that film is really saying about yeah like you say looking and power masculinity and, and kind of things like that so yeah it's really interesting to sort of hear that um he you sort of put it across that way i think that's really kind of aligns with what i was thinking in terms of like what what films are doing you know when they might use sex as a as a way in rather than um yeah, just being purely kind of titillating. Because I, I do think that, yeah, that the looking is is kind of part of cinema. So, yeah, eros, arousal, you know, kind of um, connection is all part of, it's it's always part of the experience, I think, in terms of particularly in a cinema. So, yeah, thank you, for, thank you for working that out, yeah. And I took it that way as well. Like, I took your question in that spirit as well. I understood that, you know, um, 
that that's not that, that's not necessarily what you were implying anyway. But it just is amusing to me when I happen to see um, complaints made about sexuality or that if it is represented, then it has to be in the kind of like discourse of a power imbalance. And I feel like maybe those things are perhaps relevant in certain cases, but as a general rule, I think they kind of miss the the point of the cinematic experience. Also, I mean, you can't win, can you? Because there, there are complaints about sex scenes being gratuitous, but then like you just said, people were seeing eyes wide shut and on you know it's the greatest film like ever made it's amazing there's so much there and you want an erection as well (laughs) it just seems such an ungrateful way to be consuming cinema oh yeah that's 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 so good Yeah, I mean, what's 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 great though? I think that about your podcast specifically, just build, building on that, and the, and you've just you just kind of encapsulated both of you there in terms of your reflections on what's going on around us. You know what the contexts are, because you know, like Neil and I are always like painfully conscious that we, you know, of our kind of identities and the way that we talk, but and and that is in some some sometimes we might even overdo that. But what I like about your podcast, I think, is that you approach the films in the way that you want to approach them, and you expect kind of a good faith um, attitude in your audience that that you understand what all of the issues are but yet this is this is worth this is worth considering you know whether it's a Polanski or an or Woody Allen movie we all know what the problems are with those guys but you know you're not afraid to kind of go there and not even start with that caveat you're just in, in interested in what the films are doing and and I don't know that do you have you can kind of considered those some of those things that we all are having to deal with right now? Well, Mary, you just finished teaching a course on Woody Allen, so uh, you might be the one to take this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it is something I've considered for sure, and um, I think about quite a lot um, because I think at the root of your question, which is really like a fair question and like an important one to address. Um, is that we kind of have to ask ourselves what is the point of cinema? Like what is the goal and what is actually um, the purpose of filmmaking in cinema? And if the answer is uh, we want film to be like an instructional manual for how to live a good life and it be almost like a PSA or some kind of like uh, moral, you know, uh, instructional video or something then yes it would follow logically that we have to like turn our backs on a convicted rapist like Roman Polanski and someone who's been alleged to have molested someone uh, never by the way any charges brought to him or any certainly no conviction like in the case of Woody Allen um, so, but if the answer to the question of what is the purpose of cinema is that it provides a space for the artist to like work through and process and try and figure out their own conflicted problems and their own demons and their own personal issues, and that the film outlet then is a positive, healthy, sublimated way of processing difficult life 
events or traumas. And that in doing that, then you create an art form that audiences can then relate to and feel comforted by or feel like they can identify or they can project their own associations and work through their own problems or just simply be entertained. It doesn't even have to be that deep, you know, they could just simply like put on like white and be entertained or whatever. But so I just happen to, you know, I guess I identify more in the kind of latter category. I strongly oppose this idea that we have to like render cinema this morally sanitized space where artists are morally pure. I have a serious problem with that, you know? Um, I, I just categorically reject that, really. I think it's also just about this kind of, this, the scale of what we're doing. We're not the BBC. We're two women making a podcast for free in our own time. So I don't, you know, I think if I was like running a large conglomerate, maybe I would think more in terms of morality. I think, I think like we do, we do discuss these things like sometimes in our in our podcasts and I think but I think we don't discuss it from a moral standpoint we maybe discuss it from more of an like an emotional one like for me I think when it comes to talks conversations about Woody Allen or or Roman Polanski or even like Kubrick and you know the kind of like sort of bullying allegations things like that I think the things that concern me is that I mean, I'm I'm really interested in in creativity, which is like to me a monumentally frightening thing to try and do to make something, and so sometimes when I hear stories like that, I do think about what is being exchanged when one person ha- is like is sort of is kind of taking so much energy from others in in a drive to do their own ideas, um, and maybe um, I'm I, I'm. I wouldn't think it was such a sad thing if um, a couple of minor Woody Allen works dis- just disappeared from the face of the earth and were re- like and were replaced with like another Joyce Chopra film or another Darren Stein film or you know I'm kind of interested in films of people that made like one great movie and then went on to do TV directing or Lifetime movies or something like that. So I am interested in kind of just the idea of like how much creativity or how much power there is in the world and like how it can be shared out better but I don't think that's like a morality question in a way I think it's actually much more to do with me personally being a bit uncomfortable with power and a bit shy to do my own creative things and to you know wonder about those things no I just just think it is that 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 attitude that that sort of mentality that you you both um come to your podcast with is actually quite fresh and unusual because I do think that you know, the conversation is very much not, you know, not everybody's virtue signaling, but you know what I mean? There's a sort of ideological undercurrent that feeds into so much of what we listen to. Sorry, Mary, were you, were you going to No, no, no. I follows on from what you just said, um, actually, is that I think just objectively, if, if we are going to describe ourselves as cinephiles or film lovers or film buffs, then how can we authentically and honestly engage with movies um, and then also in the same, by the same token, like be forced to deny the existence of like Annie Hall. Annie Hall is a, is a watershed moment in romantic comedy films. Like in the history of cinema, in the history of romantic comedy films, the timeline goes Big Bang, Annie Hall, and everything that happened afterwards, you know? Like I, I can't pretend that Annie Hall didn't happen and didn't influence countless other films that are completely like relying on the new language that Woody Allen invented. That would just be weird and warped. Why would I want to do that? I don't want to do that. At the same time, I'm I'm not, I'm not saying that you guys are suggesting that I do that. I'm just saying in general, my reaction to the discourse that's more pervasive, like um, the same thing with like Rosemary's baby, you know, and and actually the whole apartment trilogy, repulsion, Rosemary's baby and the tenant, reinvented psychological horror like the three of them together are like they're absolutely epically hugely influential to try and pretend those movies don't exist and then go on to influence so many other filmmakers I mean that's to me that's madness and I just don't like to I don't like to live in this kind of like world where I have to force I have to pretend like something doesn't exist when it does exist that's all really 
I think it's really exciting because I think that what as you sort of said there, you're just, you know, two women and not the BBC. There's the sense that the BBC can't or won't do that kind of thing. But what you do in your podcast is show how you can talk about these things in a world where we're told that we can't talk about these things, you know, because it's too problematic. And it's like, well, no, actually, you know, this is how you can approach it. So I think it's really great that you do and that you don't caveat it, you know, and that when, when things come up in the text or the subtext, they're addressed, but it's not, you know, you don't feel the need to to do it. And I think that, you know, it's... um that's just that's just really great in terms of making sure that those films stay in the conversation in the ways that they should be in the conversation you know and i think that those points there mary are are, are true you know you can't what would you do just have a space where you can't and i think that you know the way people have tried to to also teach and sort of include problematic films from the past in the conversation i think is is really vital so that, that there isn't these holes where these things can't be linked back to and we can't understand how we've moved on either ideologically or formally from from these sort of significant works, I think is is really cool. Yeah. So where do you want to go next, Dario? Well, I do, I do want to ask about the basically the 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 development of the podcast through through the seasons in terms of things like conversations about say something as as nuts and bolts as production values, but also how you guys feel that you're you've grown into the the roles that you occupy in the podcast because we often. Neil and I often talk about what roles we occupy in our podcast and then people will come on and tell us oh we think you you know you're that role and and you're and Neil's that role so I just wondered if you have a, a, a sense of that yourselves production value we got we invested in better microphones uh, <laughs> thanks to our donors who facilitated uh, that purchase for us um, and I think definitely that goes a long way for sure I mean it seems like such a simple thing to like get better equipment, but it really adds to the general like experience, the pleasurable experience of listening to something that has been well recorded, well edited, etc. Um, in terms of the roles that we both play, I'm I'm actually really curious. What roles do you guys both think that you play in the podcast? Maybe we'll <laughs> maybe we'll learn from you. Wow, I don't know. Now, now, turning it back on us is an interesting one. Well done. I like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, I think it's it, it, it's interesting in terms of myself being more of the the pragmatic one and the realist one. I don't know. Neil, Neil, kind of maybe a little bit sort of romantic and emotionally engaged in text. If I'm if I'm being kind of generalistic, but you know, I don't know. Neil, do you agree with that? Or I'm the funny one. That's the that's the way it works. Um, no, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, no, I think. Yeah, I think. I, I. I think that's probably a pretty good, a pretty good kind of yeah sort of demarcation of where the separate bits of the Venn diagram are. I just wrote about this on the on the newsletter. You know, kind of very much. Yeah, very much emotionally driven. You know, that I want to engage with the text as I just want to love it. You know, the first thing I want to do is I want to watch something. I want to listen to something. I want to love it, and then. If I do, then I kind of want to, then I want to go in, you know, and I think not that Dario doesn't want to love stuff, but I think there's certainly a kind of a more kind of curious or thematically kind of driven focus from, from him when he's kind of going into stuff. And that's, we'd never really analysed that, but I think we knew that we, I think we knew at the start we had different, we had different ways into films, you know, in terms of being critics and filmmakers and even when we're sort of writing about film we, we write about very different types of films even though we share quite similar taste I think you know what we want to write about and what we want to research is is quite different so and I think that the nuances of that have come out over time you know we've learned from having that body of work about the films that Dario chose and the films that I chose and the you know that the way we've kind of agreed and not agreed on things has, has sort of shown us who we are in a way that we probably weren't conscious of when we started um and i think we've surprised each other as well in terms of the films that the others chosen that we liked more than more than we might have done but definitely i think the key point is in that recognition actually of somebody coming from a different space and a different experience is that i'm interested in why neil comes to the the films that he does in in the way that he does because it it, it kind of offers me a, a different kind of insight and an insight that I that I think has value to listen to. Whereas, you know, if it, <laughs> if you're in the pub with a stranger who says, "Oh, what's your favourite film?" I love this film. You know, it's like, yeah, whatever. But there's a you know there's a real sort of um, desire to, to to get behind that 
that that sense of where Neil's coming from with with his with his take on on things for me anyway. Oh no, I was just going to say I think that we I think that we both love we both want to love films as well but this is just the way that we facilitate love (laughs) this is just what we do when we're in love we just talk about it and talk about it yeah and i think it's mutual from what dario said and i think that you know that's that's a really nice way of putting it because we we definitely we we don't believe that there's a there is a right or wrong way to love the films or to talk about how you love the films you know and i think that having that kind of dynamic is 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 really nice for us um and is certainly why i think we we found the audience we have you know, because I think that people respond to that. They don't want two people who are this. Well, I'll stop there because I'm sure there's thousands of podcasts where people have the same opinion and they've got many more listeners than we have. Um, but I think that you know, the, the certain type of audience we've got doesn't want that. You know, they want they want to to have that difference because they probably have a different opinion again. You know, they, I don't think we're necessarily a podcast where people fall down on one side and have. You know, I think that, that and that's what I think is is interesting about yours as well is that it's it's very obvious by the end how you've kind of formed almost a third opinion and a and third, you know, third idea of the film from the conversation, which is always really rewarding, I think. That's nice to hear. Have you had a growing sense of who your audience actually is? You know, is it, it, is it kind of like, you know, do, do you get the sense that it's, that it's people who are, who are cinephiles really, or people who are interested in psychoanalysis or, you know, again, just, just in a sense of picking the films that you, you pick you offer a way in and a certain kind of conversation that may be, you know, um, very specific to the kind of listeners that that you get. I mean, I don't know. Again, on your podcast, I heard you listening. I've heard you kind of discussing contacts that you get with uh, with audience members and what have you. Do you have a, a, a sort of broader sense of that? I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe our listeners, really. Um, I don't think it's never occurred to me that they like necessarily share a specific like characteristic or, or interest even. They seem pretty like diverse in age. Like I have, uh, I get a lot of DMs from like uh, Gen Z girls saying, I love the podcast. You guys are cool. Uh, one girl said, you're like my two big sisters, you know, really sweet. <laughs> um so i like that i really like that idea um you know i think we have a quite a lot of therapists listening like whenever someone follows us they always have some kind of like like letters behind their uh, behind their name and and so i think we i think maybe we attract like a creatively frustrated therapist group um, I think like when I I've I've sort of given up listening to most other film podcasts because the approach is just so different and um, so much kind of more immediate, so much more like five stars, you know that sort of thing that we don't really subscribe to. Um, so I think and I think and those kinds of podcasts have such a big audience. So maybe like film people are more more kind of fit into that category. So maybe we kind of attract people who. I don't know, uh, not necessarily call themselves like film fans, but are like open to lots of creative things. I'm not really quite sure. Uh, yeah, I can't figure out, apart from noticing a lot of therapists, I can't figure out a sort of a single kind of thread between them. And how have you, how have you done in terms of uh, navigating the kind of, the sense that social media is really important in terms of, you know, marketing the podcast and sharing it, but then you have to deal with the social media bullshit. Is there a lot of that you have to kind of navigate or is it is it usually okay? I think our, our followers are pretty well behaved generally. I don't think, we've never really had a lot of problems. I mean, I don't think we, we don't like work in cr- crazy hard on the social media. I think both me and Mary approach social media um, it, like in from for our own perspectives, we approach approach it um, in a way that it's we do it we do we do it because we love it and we do things that we love on social media and we don't treat it as like an obligation. And I think especially especially I I think there's a massive sense of jouissance in Mary's so like use of social media. Like I Mary, I just think whatever you're doing, whether it's like memes on Instagram or Twitter polls or whatever, you just seem to be having the greatest time. Um, and I really enjoy I really enjoy watching you on social media. So I think and luckily that spills over into the podcast. But I would we don't slave trying to you know grow our following or anything like that. It's just if we like doing it. 
people do it. Yeah, I mean, I lo- I really love social media. Like, I feel like I, um, I don't know. I I lo- I, I love uh, I love interacting with pe- with people on social media. Probably because that is the kind of like um, some total of my social life. Because I'm an introvert and I'll happily be your friend, uh, you know, at a distance online. But I never want to see you. you know? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I make exceptions for some people, but I, I admit it's only because I'm really shy, you know, like I feel like very shy in person. So I let out my kind of social uh, aspirations online. And I, for my experience, I mean, I, I've never really had any bad moments of, of anyone like being upset that we covered something or, I mean, the most I've ever got is like random uh, strangers asking for feet pics in DMs, but uh, <laughs> that's not a that's not a big problem to me. <laughs> like I, I just I just ignore that, you know. There's no way we could do anything like that with my uh, with my feet. That's for sure. It would just like kill the podcast dead straight away. <laughs> no, not at all. I think sexuality is not a narrow spectrum. So you know, there will definitely be people out there that want pictures of your feet. <laughs> for sure. Without a doubt. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> they are definitely people that I would like to avoid, to be honest with you. It's like that, you know, the Woody Allen. The, the, I don't nev- never want to be a member of a club because it'll have me as a member. That's for sure. <laughs> that's amazing. Neil, take us take us somewhere else, please. Ask a new question. <laughs> Where do we go? Where do we go after the exclusive news of the uh, the 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 feet uh, Patreon? I was just wondered, you know, in terms of the net, the 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 post-pandemic climate, and in terms of what cinema is going to going to kind of look like. And with your podcast, you're similar to us in in terms of, you know, you're, you're not really sort of living and dying by what's coming out next. Well, not at all, really, in terms of, you know, what what's coming out next. Um, but I just wondered whether you whether you think, you know, the, the kinds of podcasts that that you're doing that and that we're doing. Is actually gonna become more not important the, the the right word, but more of a way in which people engage with cinema, because now we seem to be in in an era where cinema isn't the most important media that's that's out there. So I don't know. Do you? What are your sort of reflections on on where cinema is kind of in the in the social conversation and maybe what it might be going forward? Any thoughts on that? Sorry, that's a thought provoking one. <laughs> I mean, I'm, um, you know, I, I hope that we can move back into the culture of cinematic, you know, cinema screenings with, uh, with, with a kind of like burst of enthusiasm and appreciation and like kicking ourselves for ever having taken for granted the magic of the cinema. But maybe that's just wishful thinking in a realm, you know, in a, in, in a new era where there probably is COVID anxiety and maybe people aren't going to be so quick to rush back into a room with no windows, <laughs> you know, with somebody coughing in the back row. Um, there, You know, understandably, there may be like a, a slight lag in terms of reclaiming that, that experience. Um, I think for me, the most important thing is... I mean, Sarah might have different views on this because she runs a, a, a film club, Zodiac Film Club, and they actually do exhibit films. So, um, you know, but but and I'll let her speak on that. But for me, um, my 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 biggest my biggest concern really is that I don't want to see cinema com- compromised into a situation where the taboo element is eradicated. Because things that shock, things that potentially offend, things that—I mean, I'm not talking about like—I'm not trying—I'm not actually like promoting um, films about hate speech or anything. Like that's 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 extreme, and that doesn't enter into what I'm talking about. I'm talking about um, the potential for for cinema to feel dangerous, i.e., stirring something emotional and unconscious. That has to remain absolutely protected. And we have to give artists license to uh, interrogate the taboo element within the cinematic medium. If that ceases to happen, then the film world will die. Like truly, it, it, like the artistic element will die and we'll just be stuck with 
uh, you know, filmed by numbers, you know, uh, kind of ethical committees approved films and propaganda films. I mean, that's truly what I believe. I think that um, cinephiles turned, you know, to cinephiles live in a very different world, I believe, to the maybe the world that we're all exposed to, i.e. social media and Twitter, with a lot of people who are like terminally online. And they may not even necessarily be cinephiles. They may just want to, for various reasons, promote a certain discourse, uh, right or wrong. But that is a very separate motivation to the motivation of the cinephile who genuinely just is absolutely cuckoo about movies and they want to go and watch everything and they relate in a really authentic way. So I have, I feel like we have to kind of give credit to those audiences and ensure that for the sake of the art form and for the sake of the enjoyment of the cinematic experience, the taboo element can still remain in play. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Mary on that one. And it's funny that she, she mentioned Zodiac Film Club because that's definitely that's definitely the, the reason. When we started Zodiac Film Club, me and my friend Jordan years ago, part of it was because we felt that um, yeah, cinema had just become so kind of mired in guilt and we just wanted to be able to invite people to see films and that were not, you know, that would not meet approval for you know for various reasons maybe you know not not like good enough not serious enough um problematic whatever um and it's nice actually just to hear that from mary because that actually really reminded me of our original mission statement and when we do go back to showing films in real life that are you know those are the films that we're gonna that we're going to be showing but yeah i'm definitely very excited about sitting in a room full of strangers and watching a film. I wonder, Mary, when you were saying that, were you thinking about um, Tom Six's new film and yeah, how it can't get distribution? It breaks my heart. I mean, The yeah. Onania Club. I've been waiting for years for this film to come out about a group of women who, it's like a book book club. They meet to like, but it's not, they're not reading books. They're, uh, it's like schadenfreude. They take pleasure in other people's misery, like actual sexual pleasure. I mean, Surely this film could be allowed to be distributed solely on the basis that it passes the Bechdel test with flying colors. Like, it's all women. (laughs) It's all women, you know, uh, hanging together. Like, there's no guy in sight. But no, seriously, though, um, yeah, that it really really upsets me when I see a filmmaker like Tom Six, yeah, who probably for very valid reasons is... Not everyone's favorite, you know. Um, he's probably he, probably people think that he's obnoxious, but I like that quality of the iconoclast in the filmmaker. Hence, why I love Lars von Trier um, and others like him. And um, I just want that spirit to smit, th- that spirit to remain alive in cinema. I think it's really vital. Yeah, I think that's. Um... Yeah, and I think that's really interesting. I think in terms of the types of films that are playing at festivals a lot, but not necessarily getting wider distribution um, on on a regular basis. So, yeah, um, yeah. maybe the next phase of your um, career is as distributors. So, oh wow, I would love that. <laughs> and uh, in terms of the um, potentially offensive, I should let you know, Sarah, that I'm a Sagittarius. So uh, I know. The big furore <laughs> about Sagittarians on your on your podcast recently, of which I don't feel you know I wasn't offended, but I thought it was funny that you brought it up. So I had to raise it. You bloody were. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, I'm very sorry. I appreciate I didn't, that. I didn't mean anything by it. You're an exception <laughs> to the norm. What about you, Dario? What's your uh, sign? My star sign is Aquarius, for what it's worth. Oh wow! Okay, air sign. <laughs> That's so funny because Aquarius is the um, scapegoat that I chose when I made my Sagittarius <laughs> apology. <laughs> so I'm offended. So now this both this podcast has now been embargoed till 2027 when it will be released on uh, you know whatever format is available at that point. <laughs> Thanks, guys, so much for taking the time out to to talk. It's been really great fun. No, I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah, really, really great to have you on uh, and sort of get a bit more insight into your. Uh, your sort of process and yeah sort of how you go about your your work we are as you know big fans and yeah really lovely to spend the time talking to you today thank you it's been so much fun 
It's been really nice to actually see you in put faces to names. Yeah. The beauty of modern podcasting. Um, yeah, so that'll do us for the main episode. Uh, Dario and I are going to head off to the bonus now and chat a little bit about this and whatever else comes up. But um, for now, thank you for coming along, uh, Sarah and Mary. Thank you to our listeners. Um, you'll find us in all the normal places uh, on the social media. And uh, yeah, for those of you who want to hear us uh, witter on a bit more, come along to the Patreon and uh, you can listen to us on the bonus. But for now, thank you, everyone. This has been the Cinematologist podcast. Thanks for listening.